I'm back home. It's mid-November 2020. I've been gone since September 17th, and I'm here to talk about putting yourself into a COVID-free bubble for nine weeks to work on a movie, one produced by Netflix called Red Notice. That's what I did, and I don't regret it. It was a fantastic time. Crazy as it sounds, 2020 was a year of firsts, and this was how the film and TV industry reacted to this situation, at least for one company. I remember getting the email from Tammy Smith Casting literally two days before I had to leave. It was really exciting, but it was scary at the same time, because I'd never done anything like this before. I mean, I'd done background jobs before, but it was such an opportunity that I couldn't pass it up. Yeah, living in a hotel for two months sounds a little crazy, and it was a little bit scary going into it, but it turned out to be one of the most impactful experiences of my life. I just have to say that. Your life is about the experiences you encounter and how they impact you and change who you are. And this changed me. And the money was fantastic. Background gigs don't pay very well. They're typically anywhere from $80 to $100 for anywhere from 10 to 12 hours of work. So being offered what amounted to an annualized six-figure income was extremely attractive. You don't know where you're going to work until the night before. You don't know what your call time is. And it's often very early, like 5 or 6 a.m., which means getting up at an ungodly hour to get ready and drive somewhere. You have no idea how long you're going to be there, but you basically have to block off your entire day because the expectation is that you'll be there for 12 hours. So everything's up in the air until the night before, and then you basically don't get a check until a month later. Most of this was taken care of on Red Notice because we knew exactly where we'd be each day and when. The days were not crazy long, and we got to live in a hotel, just a bit pampered. It was more like a college dorm for grown-ups. Our pay was direct deposited weekly, and we had fun perks like food trucks on Sundays, Zoom workouts, and actor-supplied gifts, like liquor from Ryan Reynolds and Dwayne Johnson, and a coffee truck courtesy of Gal Gadot. Oh, and Ryan made each of us a video for a loved one. Mine was for Sugar, my whippet, for her 13th birthday. Back to my story. Red Notice was a blast, and I'd highly recommend this type of gig to anyone who's done background work to consider an opportunity like this. It might be a little too much for a first background job, since it's not representative of what most of these are like. Instead, you're not doing one-off jobs here and there, you're committing to a chunk of work for an extended period of time. You'll have to make some sacrifices, but I think it's worth it. I mean, think about it. Most actors do this all the time. They leave their families for months at a time, live in a hotel in another city to get the job done. Do it for the experience alone. We made history with this Netflix movie, and it was such an honor to be part of this pioneering production. They pivoted and innovated to meet the challenge of a global pandemic, and I got to be part of it. Okay, let me just take a step back and and give you some context and background of what this is all about. Because I kind of jumped into the middle of it and I need to backtrack and tell you why I decided to start a second podcast. This one focused on background acting, specifically here in Atlanta, Georgia. As many of you probably know, Atlanta has become the new Yollywood, which is essentially the Hollywood of the South. I think there's more production going on here in terms of film and TV than anywhere else in the country. So because of the tax incentives, the industry here is booming. And here's my story. I basically stumbled into this about a year ago in October of 2019. I got an email from a casting company called The Nine, and I kind of fell for it. I went there. I paid them some money. It was one of those gigs where they promise you the world and deliver almost nothing. Um, But what I did get out of it was... 
A fantastic set of professional prints, including headshots um, in four different outfits. And then I switched to the monthly plan and basically said, I'll just use this as a source of education. So I would go there maybe once or twice a month for um, in-house classes, which I found very useful. But once COVID hit, um, everything kind of shut down, so nothing happened. But anyway, um, I did about 30 projects in my first six months, October of 2019 to March of 2020. Um, and I think that's a lot. That's a lot more than I think what the average is. But I found it very easy to just go online, either on Facebook or websites, and basically just look for um, casting gigs and submit pictures and measurements and availability and all that stuff. And I started hearing back pretty much right away. Uh, my first gig was Ozark, a couple of days on that. I think it was season three. Um, in fact, on my first day on Ozark, I, maybe it was my second day. My first day I ended up in a car in the parking lot at a Piedmont hospital somewhere in Gwinnett County driving through the parking lot, which is a little bit stressful. Um, but then the second day I was there, they asked me to do stand-in, which was a huge step up. I mean, a stand-in is basically somebody who literally stands in for the actor as the camera people and the lighting people and everybody else standing around there gets ready for the scene. They need somebody who is the same physical size and look of the character, um, wearing the same colored clothing and all this stuff so they can get everything lined up. And then at the very last minute, the stand-in steps out and the actor pops in. So I was standing in for Kevin Johnson, who plays Sam Dermody, who is the realtor guy who in season three ends up in the casino spending way much more money than he has. So Maya, the FBI agent, starts wondering what the hell's going on. Anyway, that was the scene I was in. I think it's episode seven where he's in the casino spending a lot of money and she's asking all kinds of questions and he gets really freaked out. So that was cool. Um, and then that led to other TV shows like Dynasty and The Resident several times and then Doom Patrol and then movies like um, The Suicide Squad and Respect and then more TV, um, Genius Aretha and it just kind of went on and on and on. Um, and then finally, I ended up doing what was the biggest gig of my career so far, which was Red Notice as a background person for eight weeks in a bubble in Peachtree City. And guess what happened while I was there? Uh, our PA decided that I would be a body double for one of the key characters in the movie. Not one of the main characters, but... A substantial character, I'm guessing. Um, somebody called Soto Voce, who is this wild, crazy guy who has this party of the year. And I got to stand, sorry, I got to body double for him. A body double is basically a person who looks just like the main character and is actually filmed as if they were the main character in scenes that have no dialogue and are far enough away that nobody watching the movie is going to be able to tell that it's not the real actor. So I did that for 10 days, fully dressed in the tuxedo with the wig on and the whole deal, um, makeup, earring, all kinds of stuff. 
um, and got to do some pretty neat stuff. Some of it was just kind of standing around in the background where nobody could really even see that I was there. But there were scenes where I was walking into the scene, um, full on camera shot from behind me, or I was on a stage giving a speech or something. It was just really, really exciting and different. And um, again, just like pretty much unbelievable. So um, I can't wait for that movie to come out. It comes out probably in about a year, December of 2021. So got lots of pictures and videos that I can't release because of the NDA. But boy, when that comes out, my Facebook is going to be full of really interesting stuff. Um, that I'll tell you about later. So I'm reading this from the Central Casting website, otherwise known as centralcasting.com here in Atlanta, although I believe it does serve other cities. Uh, These are two definitions that I wanted to read aloud because they're as good as any, and I'd rather use something real than make it up myself. What is a background actor? A background actor is someone who performs in a non-speaking role, usually in the background. Background actors help make movies, TV shows, and other productions look and feel more authentic. After all, hospitals, concerts, and city streets would just look like movie sets without background actors to give them life. What do background actors do? There's no universal background actor's job description because your role can change from booking to booking. One day you may be portraying a 1980s high school teacher and the next a DJ working with your own equipment. As a background actor, you'll spend most of your time in holding or on set. While filming, you'll mainly interact with the assistant director, who will direct you where and when to move in a scene. Whether you're interested in advancing your career in the entertainment industry or just want an opportunity to see how your favorite movies and TV shows are made, working as background gives you a unique opportunity to be behind the scenes on a variety of productions. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. So I'm recording this in late December 2020. It's actually two days before Christmas. And since leaving the Red Notice COVID bubble on November 18th of this year, I've only done one additional gig since then. Um, A one-day stand-in job on something called Jersey. And I don't even know if that's the real name or just the the fake name because every production has like the fake name that you get to say out loud. But it's just a code word for the real name, whatever the real production is. Like, Red Notice's code name was Karate Dolphin for some reason. I don't know where that came from. Anyway, it was a pretty easy gig. I haven't done stand-up since Ozark, which was October 2019, so it's been over a year. Um, But this came out from Central Casting, and I expressed interest, and they called me and booked me on it. 
and I was a little concerned because it's been a while, but it was pretty easy. And the pay was basically twice as much as what all the background actors were getting for the day. Um, call time was really late. I was surprised. Normally I expect to be up and somewhere at five or six in the morning, but the call time wasn't until 1.30 p.m. So I could actually get up and go to the gym and do my real estate work in the morning, have lunch, and then head over there. And it actually was even better because it wasn't 20 miles away or on the other side of the world or something. It was literally five miles from my house on Edgewood Avenue in the Edgewood section of Atlanta. So essentially, right off to Cab Avenue, a block in on Edgewood, directly across from Staple House, if you know where that is, um, on the corner there. The street begins with an H, but I forget the name. Just a couple houses in. And it was easy. Um, I didn't do much for the first hour. And then when me and the other female stand-in for the uh, main two characters um, were called in, we basically worked until probably 6.30. So it was about five hours, pretty easy. And then they basically shifted everything a block away. It was dark by this time, down to Auburn Avenue for the next scene they were filming. And here's what happened. It was really strange. Like everybody forgets that you're even there. And so nobody bothered to come by and tell us we weren't needed, but it became pretty clear, at least for me an hour into it, that whatever they were filming wasn't even using the actors that we were standing in for, so there was absolutely no reason for us to be there. But we ended up sitting there until about 9.30 that night, so another three hours doing absolutely nothing but getting paid for it. But it would have been nice to go home at 6.30 instead of 9.30. Um, it got a little bit cold, and we're talking November, so it wasn't freezing out, but I ended up walking all the way back to holding to my car to get my camping chair and... I think my jacket at that time, yeah, Um, which worked out fine, but I didn't get any meals because everything was kind of a mess and nobody told me where to go to get my dinner and people were walking around with bags of food. I'm like, what's going on? But again, it didn't really matter because I'd already had a full dinner before I even showed up there Um, because you never know what kind of food is going to be there, whether you're going to want to eat it or be hungry or what have you, so... Um, the holding situation was interesting. It was at that church on Ezard Street, which is the new home of Dad's Garage Theater. But I showed up there, and there were literally maybe five people there. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, where is everybody? And the PA working there had no idea. And within about 10 minutes, they put me on a shuttle bus, took me over to wardrobe, where they basically outfitted me in nothing but this oversized, extra-large, brown sweatshirt type thing that I had to wear for the rest of the day. It probably looked ridiculous. Um, I guess it was the same color as whatever the main character was working. By the way, I was standing in for something called the Sheik, but it was spelled a really weird way, like not just S-H-E-I-K. There was an extra letter in there somewhere. Anyway, so that's the only work I've really done um, since leaving Red Notice on November 18th. However, I am scheduled to do the same gig for maybe six or seven more days in January, standing in for the same character. So that's good. We'll see how that goes. Um, It's always nice to go back to a familiar set and work with people you've worked before so that every time you do something, it's not a brand new experience.
Let me switch gears now and talk a little bit about the pandemic. You may be wondering how COVID has impacted the industry. Well, just like everything else in our world, it suddenly became very risky to interact with other people in any way, shape, or form, given the risk of contracting the novel coronavirus, otherwise known as COVID-19. In March of 2020, everything just shut down. I mean, how could you make a show or a movie given the extensive interaction of people? It's not as if a movie could be made by people working from home. I had just worked on an MTV film called Three Months and was supposed to go back with a convertible for an outdoor scene, but all of it was canceled. Boo-hoo. I honestly thought I'd never work again. Fast forward six months to September 2020. I'd heard stories of the NBA creating a bubble to protect its players and actually have a season. And I read about Tyler Perry's own experience creating a bubble at his studios for one of his shows and how successful this had been. So I wasn't surprised when I got wind of other production companies following suit. Enter Netflix and the astronomically complex process of creating a bubble, defining a new process for making a movie, and then executing on it to see how and if it worked. It did, and I know that because I was there. Dubbed the most ambitious undertaking by any film company in America, as well as the most expensive, Netflix essentially set the gold standard for how to do this, safely. Coming from a corporate background, I was both amazed and impressed with how extensive their defined protocols were, how well planned it all was, and how fully staffed they were to execute it. We had lots of training when we entered the bubble. We had to pass a test. There were red zones, yellow zones, and green zones, each defined by characteristics that describe the likelihood of COVID transmission based on factors such as airflow, density of people, and other things. We got rapid tests daily and PCR tests weekly. We wore CAN 95 masks all the time and face shields when indoors. And we washed our hands a lot. We weren't allowed to touch the crafty food ourselves for fear of contamination, so it had to be handed to us. If someone's test results yielded a false positive, they were immediately put back into quarantine for about eight days, which is how we all started our journey. Arrive at a hotel and stay locked in your room for eight days with intermittent testing to prove you didn't have the virus before exiting your room and interacting with others in the rest of the bubble. It wasn't scary if you didn't think about it, and I kept my drapes closed much of the time for fear of seeing what was happening in the outside world. There were production assistants to literally deliver whatever you needed, be it hotel toiletries, or food deliveries, or the microwave you ordered on Amazon. And believe me, that package table was more full and as crowded as Grand Central Station. I did realize that perhaps I could live in a tiny house after all, and that I didn't need the overhead that comes with a 3,000 square foot house sitting on a 200 foot deep lot. When the nine weeks were up, I heard people say that there wasn't a single real case of COVID coming out of it. I haven't really been able to verify that, but it does sound likely. The whole thing was very secretive in an absurd kind of way. We always looked to see if Liam, the head of health, safety, and cleaning department, was lurking around our holding tent because it usually meant someone had tested positive and had to be quickly whisked away without providing any information to the rest of us. I guess they didn't want to falsely accuse anyone of contracting COVID, and given HIPAA laws, probably had legal reasons for behaving the way they did. But rumors did fly. I remember watching a conversation he was having with 2BG, and people were trying to read his lips from a quarter of a mile away, as if he was going to blurt out the name of the infected party. Anyway, people would occasionally disappear, and we'd figure this out the next day by process of elimination, or rather, process of... Where the heck is so-and-so? Are they sick? Did they test positive? There were situations where contract tracing was done, meaning everyone who was around the person was also forced back into quarantine. Thankfully, it didn't happen to me. But it did happen to one of the dancers a few doors down, and her boyfriend was such a guy that he organized a flash mob outside her window one Sunday afternoon. I've never been in a flash mob before, so it was very exciting. 
We sang Tina Turner's Simply the Best with a giant boombox and some people's drumming guitars. I'm sure there are videos of it out there on YouTube. And then we walked to the tennis courts for a Friendsgiving festival, but had reached capacity and we didn't want to bring our cake in there without being able to eat it. So we headed to the amphitheater for group photos and some more socially distant socializing, if that makes any sense. Since I've only done one job since exiting the gold standard of film bubbles, I don't have a lot to compare it to, but I must say not everyone is going to these lengths. On my last job, there was no consistency in face masks. Some are wearing silly cloth masks, which do nothing to protect the wearer. And I was told to remove my red notice face shield because it wasn't approved. They gave me their own, but waited 15 minutes to tell me that there's a film covering on it you have to peel off. Oh, okay. And I didn't see much hand sanitizer anywhere, but Crafty worked the same way. Do not touch anything, just point to it. As I mentioned at the start of this episode, I did 30 gigs in my first six months, and then COVID shut the world down for the next six months, which was followed by my nine-week sequestered stint on Red Notice, and there's much more where that came from. Consider this my contribution to all the newbies in the film industry who want to get into background acting. I love to teach others what I know, and this is how I'm choosing to do it. The anonymity of complete strangers listening is fascinating. I'm a big ham, actually, and love presenting to crowds, but a podcast has five key benefits. One, I can reach a much wider audience. Anyone on planet Earth can listen to this, I think. Two, I can write, edit, and proof my content and record it until it sounds perfect, like that infamous phone call with the president of Ukraine. Three, you can listen whenever and wherever you'd like. Four, it's logistically simpler than presenting to a live audience where someone could ask me something esoteric that I can't answer on the spot, which would make me look like a complete idiot. And five, with COVID raging out of control, I can't contract it through this podcast. And that's what the background scoop is all about. In case you're wondering, yes, I'm 100% Greek, although I wasn't born there. And don't let my name frighten you. It sounds just like it looks. Stavropoulos. Not Snuffleupagus. That's not even close. I promise to fill your head with oodles of knowledge about the world of background acting, or at least what I know about it. And you'll be glad you took the time to listen. Since it's free, I can't actually offer a money-back guarantee. Just trust me. That's all for this episode. Tune in again for more of the Background Scoop, where I discuss background acting here in Atlanta. Hope you're learning and getting some BG rules of your own. Feel free to reach out with your questions, which I'll try to answer in a future episode, or tell me a story about your own experience, and I may choose to interview you. See the episode notes for how to reach out, And if you like what you've heard, please rate the podcast. Thanks for listening.